Thanks so much uh, to Lincoln and the team for leading us in our worship this morning. That was, uh, that was wonderful. We're going to take a few uh, moments this morning um, to talk about giving. And coincidentally, um, part of the announcements this morning was just that summer reminder of, uh, of the fact that the bills go on. Um, I can assure you up front that Derwin didn't put me up to, you know, do a, do a sermon on giving throughout the summer. Um, this is just something that was percolating in my mind and... Um, something that's sort of where, where me and my family are at right now. So it's, it's a good reminder for us to just to take a look back at what God has to say in Scripture about, uh, about giving. Um, I had to laugh uh, during the worship because um, we were singing that song, which was new to me. I'm not sure if it was new to you, but it, it talked about, um, it was a prayer, Lord, let us experience the glory of your presence. I think that was the, was that the first or second song we sang. Um, it, was, it was actually quite humorous because we were literally singing that line, let us experience the glory of your presence. Um, and Sandra and her kids walked in, and uh, one of them was wearing a bike helmet. Like, that's how to come to church, to experience the glory of God's presence. I'm going to put my helmet on, buckle up. We're coming in to experience the glory of God's presence. Um, so maybe we should distribute helmets at the door, you know, just, uh, that, that would be great. Um, but as we come to hear God's word this morning, that, that actually is our prayer. We sang a number of great um, prayers this morning, but that is one. Lord, we want to experience the glory of your presence, uh, even as we crack open your word and hear what you have to say to us this morning. So let's come to our God and, and pray, pray just that as we come. Lord, thank you that we don't need helmets But we do want to experience the glory of your presence. And we recognize that we have actually uh, actually have no idea the the extent of what that prayer means. Because your glory is great. And yet, God, week after week as we come here, we would love to experience more and more of the glory of your presence. In many ways, so that when we get to heaven, uh, heaven is as little a surprise as possible that we've experienced Um, even glimpses of your glory here, so that when we experience the fullness of your glory in heaven, we will have had a taste of it already. And so, God, even as we open up your word this morning, we pray that your presence, a portion, a piece, a perspective of your presence would come to us. And that uh, as we we take a look at what your word says about giving, that that what we've sung this morning, Lord, um, take all of me, And what we've sung this morning, be thou my vision, be thou my wisdom, those things would increasingly come true as we look into your word, that you change our hearts in these ways. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to be focusing on giving this morning, and we're actually going to be focusing on the second scripture that's listed, that Deuteronomy 26 passage. Once again, just like the last time I was here, um, I have no PowerPoint for you, so... I know, you're very, very disappointed, I can tell. Um, so you need to have a Bible in front of you. Um, if you brought one, wonderful. There's a few at the back. I can see perhaps one of the ushers can just um, wave Bibles around back there. And if you need one, grab one. Or like I said last time, if you have one in paper one or one on your phone and you see someone, you need to snuggle up to them and, you know, um, just lean in. And uh, I want you to have that in front of you. It's Deuteronomy chapter 26, the first uh, 12 verses, actually. It says 11, but I'm, I'm extending it to verse 12. Deuteronomy 26, the first 12 verses. So as you're finding that, I want to I just let you know that I'm bookending what I'm saying this morning um, based on a f- just a few other verses from a completely different book um, at risk of messing us all up. Um, I want us to, to, to bookend 
um, this look at giving with some very clear verses in the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk or Habakkuk or however you want to pronounce that. It's completely up to you. But these are verses that I just, um, I've read before, but I reread um, about a week and a half ago. And they're the very last verses um, in this Old Testament book. And I want to use them as the bookend. It's kind of just the, um, the, just a picture for what we're going to look at in Deuteronomy this morning. The book of, of Habakkuk is um, a really powerful Old Testament book. It would warrant um, a sermon series. Maybe sometime um, uh, I would want to work us through that because it's a powerful book. But, but it's, it's the, the prophet speaking to, um, uh, really interacting with, with God and speaking to God's people. And it's, the theme really is seeing faith grow through doubt and perplexity through to a deeper trust in God. And we can all relate to that. When, when life, when God just doesn't make sense, and, and the prophet's working through all of that to a place of trust. And, and the whole thing finishes up with this, these few verses that I want to use as our backdrop this morning. And it says this in chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. And then it says, for the director of music, on my stringed instruments. It's a song. It's, it's poetry um, put to lyrics. There's music involved. But it's, those are powerful verses that the prophet finishes up with and kind of sums up the theme of the whole, the whole book of, of Habakkuk. That even when life and God doesn't make sense, I, I will continue to trust. That's kind of the picture. It's kind of the theme of the song that he's singing. But if you look a little bit closer, we can all relate to that, right? Like when life gets difficult, I want to continue to trust you, God. But if you look a little bit closer at those words, and this is the backdrop that I want to use for Deuteronomy this morning, the backdrop um, is actually even even more specific than that. Look, Look at the imagery that's being used. He talks about figs and grapes and olives and grain. And he says, you know, there's basically nothing. There's no figs, there's no grapes. There's no olives, there's no grain. Um, in an agrarian society, that's income from the land. Figs and grapes and olives and grain. He talks about sheep and, no, and cattle. There's, there's no sheep in the fields, no cattle in the stalls. In an agrarian society, that's also part of income. There's income from land and there's income from livestock. And if you look a little closer at these few verses, it occurred to me um, just a couple weeks ago that this guy's listing his portfolio it's as if he's cracking open, going to his financial planner and, and looking at all the accounts and saying, oh, wow, there, there's not very much. And, and that's the deeper picture here, that, that even though my portfolio looks really weak and there's just not a whole lot to go on uh, with at the end of the month, as it were, even then will I trust you, God. That's the picture. Now, we could preach a whole sermon on that, but, but it just jumped out at me a couple weeks ago, and I thought, wow, that's a great backdrop for, for talking about giving, because that's, that's reality for most of us. And if it's not reality for you now, it probably has been at some point in your life or will be. That, that there are times when we look around and we say, wow, there's, there's just not a lot of 
you know, grapes on the vine and a lot of, not a lot of livestock in the, in, the, in the stalls in my life right now. The portfolio is looking a little slim. At the end of the month, things are really tight, or maybe even in the middle of the month, things are really tight. I mean, that's just a backdrop for us um, in our lives. And I want to use that as the backdrop, as the, kind of the picture, or even, even more um, appropriately, the song for what we're going to look at in Deuteronomy this morning, when we talk about giving. Because in, in Habakkuk, he's talking about joy in the midst of struggle. I want to take that image, just keep it in the, kind of in the recesses of your mind as we look about giving in Deuteronomy chapter 26. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, the first 12 verses, there's a powerful principle, a biblical principle being put forward here. It, it comes up actually in different texts in Scripture, but um, here it is in Deuteronomy 26, and it's a pr- powerful principle about giving, and it's the principle of the first fruits. The principle of the first fruits. And I want us just to take some moments this morning um, to look at this principle of first fruits when it comes to giving, with that backdrop in our minds, that picture from the book of Habakkuk. Listen to these verses. If you have um, access to a Bible, you can follow along. Deuteronomy 26. I'm reading out of the New International Version. Deuteronomy 26, the first 12 verses. This is God speaking to his people as they enter into the, the land that was promised to them. When you have entered the land, the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it. Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. This is a, one of the biblical passages. It gives a perspective on tithing through this principle of first fruits. It's, as I said, um, it's God's, part of God's instructions to the people as they're entering into the land that was promised to them. And in that, those instructions, he talks to them about giving to him. I want us this morning just to take a look at three aspects of giving that are, that are embedded in this passage. It talks about giving in certain ways. I want to look at those this morning. Talks about giving, first of all, sacrificially. Sacrificially. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 2, it talks about this principle of first fruits. 
It says, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Essentially, it's saying there, take your offering from the first fruits of all that you've produced, take it, put it in a basket, and bring it to church. They didn't use the term church then. It was bring to the, um, to the place where the Lord your God would choose as a dwelling. It was the, the place of, of, of coming to worship where the, the priest was, saying, bring it, bring it in a basket. This is an agrarian society, don't forget. Uh, it's um, based on what, they, what could, they could grow, either in, in a vegetation form or, or, or cattle, those kinds of things. And so God was saying to the people, Whatever you're earning, I want you to bring the first fruits of it. I want you to put it in a basket. I want you to bring it to church. I want you to bring it to your place of worship. I want you to think about an agrarian society for a moment. I want you to put yourself in that position. As a farmer, all of your income came at harvest time. That's when it all came in. It was during that season of harvest. The rest of the year, it's not like you sat around and waited for harvest time. You were very, very busy preparing the soil, tilling the soil, sowing the seed, watering it, all of those kinds of things. And in the off-season, it was rotating crops, it was everything. You were always working, but all of your income was focused on that harvest season. Harvest time, in many ways, was cash time. When all the harvest was in the barn, you knew how much you had for the year. So when it comes to giving to the Lord, how did this reality, how did this reality that it didn't come in in good, you know, every month, they didn't get a paycheck, it came in all at once. How did that reality affect their giving to the Lord? Well, if, if they were logical, logic would dictate that they would wait until the end of the harvest, that they would wait until the end of the year when the harvest came in, and they would, they would take a look at what was the harvest like this year. Um, and then they would, um, out of that, they would, they would know how much they could afford to put in the basket and bring to the temple. It would, in some ways, make logical good sense. But, but listen to this. That's not what God tells his people. In many ways, he's illogical with them. In many ways, God's saying that might be the natural, logical way to do it. Like, wait until harvest. Wait to see what comes in. Get the, get the full sense of what the barns are like. But he says, that's not the way I want you to do it. He calls his people to a different way. He says, I want you to bring me your first fruits. In many ways, that what that practically means is when it comes to harvest, you go out the first few days of your harvest, and you have no idea how large the harvest is going to be at this point, but you're not sure of your total yield, but you take some of the first fruits, you put them in a basket, and you take them to the place of worship. Here's the key. He says, give to the Lord before you know the whole harvest. The principle is this. If you wait until everything comes in and then give, you're giving from your surplus. If you wait until you get a sense of everything and get all the bills paid and everybody's, okay, okay now I can bring some to God. You're giving from your surplus. The surplus is that part that you can afford to give from without it affecting your lifestyle, without it affecting the way you live. Your surplus. And God says, no, I don't want you to give from your surplus. I don't want your leftovers. I want your firstovers. I want you to give in such a way that it changes the way in which you live. I want you to give sacrificially. Now, 
I don't know that we have many farmers here this morning. We're not exactly in the rural agricultural part of our province. And we certainly don't live in an agrarian-based economy. But the principle, I think, still applies. Most of us receive pay for our work, whether it's on a weekly or bi-weekly or monthly basis. And, and I, would think, I think God would want to say to us this morning, I want you to give to me off the top. Not out of your surplus, when everything else is covered in the budget. I want you to give me out of your first fruits. I don't want your leftovers. I want your first overs. I want you to give in such a way that it changes the way that you live. I want you to give sacrificially so that you learn to trust me. Sacrificial, off-the-top giving. What, what would that look like for us? Well, in this day and age, it actually becomes even easier. You know, we've got things like pre-authorized debit and, and uh, writing checks in advance. And, and believe me, I, it occurred to me just yesterday. For those of you that don't know my, my background, I, you know, spent, uh, I've come out of pastoral ministry and I'm doing something else right now. But this is the first time, I realized it yesterday, this is the first time I've preached on giving and on money and that kind of thing out of a pastoral role. And it always felt a little bit weird to preach about money when you're like the pastor of the church. Because it kind of just feels like a conflict of interest, right? Like everyone's sitting there going, well, of course you're going to preach on that. Because when we give, you get paid and everybody's happy. It was always a little bit awkward. So this is the first time I get to actually come down and say, I am with you in this. I'm one of you people. Isn't this wonderful? This is just great. I can just sit down here and, and we can have a conversation. Because, because I have, don't tell Durham when I said this, I have a real job now. And... and <laughs> That's going to get out. At least one person's going to tweet that or put that on Facebook or tell him. Just keep me anonymous. But seriously, like, I, I feel like I'm in a different place because um, when we stepped out of pastoral ministry just a little while ago, we had to rearrange our budget. Uh, I'm not going to give you the crunch the numbers for you, but we had to rearrange our budget. We had to rethink some things. We had to move things around. We had to figure things out because our budget was changing. And it is really tempting to wait until the end of the month and go, okay, that was close, but we, we got it. Okay, okay, now let's do the offering. And I've given in to that temptation. But here's the principle. The principle God says is, no, no, I want, part of the, I want your first fruits. I don't want your leftovers. I want your first overs. I want you to come to a place where you trust me to meet the rest of your needs. I want you to come, as it were, with your basket and give me your first fruit. I want you to give sacrificially. Not out of your surplus. I want you to give sacrificially. So that you trust me. That is much harder to do when you're living in Habakkuk's world. Right? When the portfolio looks a little bit tight. And yet if we learn to do that, if we apply this principle in the lean times, we will apply it in the times when it's not so lean. God calls his people to give sacrificially, off the top, not out of their surplus, not out of their leftovers, to the point where it affects their bottom line so that they have to trust him. Okay, so that's the first point. How do you like the sermon so far? Nice light sermon. Glad I got up this morning. This is wonderful. Thanks so much. Um, wonderful. It, it sounds pretty grim. It sounds pretty like, ugh. But it's not supposed to be. 
It's not supposed to be. Because here's the second point. We're not supposed to give just sacrificially. We're to give joyfully. Not just out of duty. This call comes in the middle section of what I read for you in Deuteronomy 26. In the Old Testament, get this, people weren't just allowed to show up at worship and stick their offering on the plate or in the bag. Kind of like, oh yeah, this is what we do. Here we go. Okay, move it along. What's next? It wasn't that simple. In verse 4, um, it, it says the priest takes your basket, your first fruits, and, and it's not done there. It's not just pass the bag and move on. There's more to it. If you read on, verse 5, the person giving the first fruits doesn't just plunk down and say, okay, they have, a, they have more to do as part of the process. Verse 5 and following, it says, once you've given, then you shall make a declaration before the Lord. So, so picture it. You know, it's not just, okay, we're going to do the offering and, you know, then the announcements will come. It's, it's come forward, bring your first fruits, and it was a little bit more than a check. It was like, you know, okay, here we go, in my basket, plunk it down, and you don't just turn around and walk away. Okay, priest, it's your job now. It's you make a declaration. What are they declaring? If you look at there, what, what's being, it's, it's a testimony that's being declared. It's a testimony, get this, about the grace of God and his saving power in the person's life who's bringing the offering. They're making a, a testimony. They're making a declaration of God's faithfulness and his grace and his saving power in their life. Right there, during the offering time. They're making a, a statement about the gospel, about the good news of God's saving action. Because, because get this, when they give their testimony as part of their offering, as part of their giving, it positions them to be reminded of some powerful truth in the act of their giving. Here, here's what the testimony reminds them of. They're coming with their offering, and, and they realize, yes, I have worked hard to grow these crops, to earn this income, as it were. I've worked very hard, long hours in the hot sun, <clears throat> toiling, um, working hard. And so, so I've worked very hard, yes, but in my testimony, I'm realizing that the only reason I have any of this stuff is because this land that I grew it on is a gift from God. The land is the means of all that I have. And that land is God's gift. It's all from God. We were in Egypt, the testimony goes on. And they remember God's saving actions. Wait a minute, as part of my offering, I come give a testimony. I remember when we were in Egypt... And we were slaves. And then we cried out to God, and God came in and saved us. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, I, I testify that God saved us. And we're saved. We, we didn't deserve it, but God came in and by His grace, not by our earnings, but God came in and saved us because of His gracious and mighty and outstretched arms. And in the testimony, they're recounting all of this. Do you see what's happening the people were not allowed to just give and move on to the next thing. Through the testimony, they were positioned to give joyfully. Do you get that? Their giving was connected to their gospel, to the good news of God's saving action in their life. Don't miss that, please. Their, their giving, the offering time, was connected to their worship. 
It was connected to this, this whole notion of God has saved me. God's saving action in my life. And my giving is connected to that. My friends, we need to drill this into our hearts. Everything you and I have is because of God's grace. Everything we have. Well, I worked really hard. I went to school. I put myself through school and I get to obtain the, 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 the paperwork and the, the letters behind my name or the training or whatever to, to earn the living that I'm earning. Oh, oh really, who, who gave you the ability to do all of that work? It's all from God. You came into the world naked. You're going to leave the same way. Everything in between is because of God's grace. All of it. Not 10%, 100%. It's all God's. Giving to God, giving our tithes and offerings to the Lord, gives us the opportunity to acknowledge, God, it's all yours. And it's all because of your grace. All that I have is a visible demonstration of your grace. My own skills? No. You gave me the skills. I worked hard. There's people who work in the rural hills of Mongolia who work way harder than us, who have very, very little. Hard work is still dependent on God's grace. I only have what I have because of God's grace. Therefore, I give sacrificially, and therefore, I give joyfully. Sometimes our giving to God here in our worship service can become detached. It's just something that we do. It's part of the rhythm of the service. We know it's coming. Oh, yeah. Offering. Check. It can even become just this kind of a, an appendage. Oh, yeah, that's what we do when someone's giving the announcements. And, and I think we miss something there. Our giving should joyfully be attached. And not just attached, to be joyfully enmeshed in our worship. I have to admit, I struggle a little bit when I attend some churches, and there's no offering in the service. And there's either an announcement made or a note in the bulletin that says, you know, if you wish to give an offering, there's buckets at the back. Live and let live. That, that's fine. I, you know, um, but but there's, there's, something, there's something that's missed when our, our giving is not a part of our corporate worship. It should be. Because we are called to give joyfully, recognizing, God, I'm giving, and as part of my giving, I'm giving a testimony. You have given me so much. Your saving hand in my life is so evident. Your mighty hand in your outstretched arm. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give and I'm going to testify to that at the same time. I'm not gonna, just going to chuck it in the basket on the way out. It's going to be a part of my worship. Do, do you see that? And it's not just going to be a part of my worship. It's going to be a joyful part of my worship. I was a slave. And you have set me free. How can I not give joyfully? Our offering is done as part of our worship. Um, a number of years ago, I was uh, visiting some missionaries in Nicaragua and went to their church. Now, if you've been to that part of the world, you know that um, they don't do church dull. They're alive and vibrant. I'm not kidding you. The offering took 25 minutes. It wasn't a basket, passed around, okay, move on. It was, first of all, it was come forward and dance forward and give your offering. 
And it was, I mean, it was unreal. It was, the music was playing, people were singing. They were coming, and it was just, it's a, it's a, when I think of this passage, that's the picture I get, is that their giving was joyful and it was connected to their worship. Such a powerful, powerful picture. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moss and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's probably not new news to many of us. But here's the reminder of the powerful truth. Whatever your heart most treasures, where it will be where most of your money flows. Whatever your heart most treasures, it will be, and even more specifically, it will be where your money flows most effortlessly. What your heart most treasures. You will always most joyfully spend your money on the things that your heart most treasures. Let me give you an example. If you love the Vancouver Canucks, you will have no trouble spending money on Vancouver Canucks paraphernalia or tickets. What your heart most loves, your money will flow to most effortlessly. If you don't love them, you're not going to go out and buy the stuff. But if you love them, who cares about how much they cost? It, it doesn't feel like spending when I buy Canucks tickets. Here's how you know where your heart really rests. Here's how you know whether you are just religious or whether you have really experienced the saving grace of God in your life. You love you enjoy, you get excited about giving to God. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know what that word cheerful in the original language has this picture of? I was reading a commentary recently, and it talked about this. The, the, the cheerfulness, it's, it's almost like giddiness. It's not a, well, I'm very joyful to do this. I am a cheerful individual. It's, no, no. I, it's not, I am joyful to give this offering unto the Lord this morning. It's, no, it's like, oh, goody, it's offering time. Woo! Can we do it twice this week? It, it, there's a certain sense of giddiness to it. There's a certain sense of, ah, I understand so much how God's given to me. I want to give to him, whether it's in the offering or whether I give my, my time to people. Or, however, I'm, I'm tithing, giving to the Lord. I just can't—I'm I, I, speechless. That, that's the sense of it. A cheerfulness, a giddiness. When we b- really begin to get God's grace poured out uh, on us through his sacrifice, our giving begins to come out of a joyful place within us. And we joyfully give our testimony. Uh, I, I'm giving because I'm just—it's part of my worship to what God—let me tell you what God has done in my life. Just like the testimony in Deuteronomy 26 sacrificially, joyfully, and and lastly, gracefully, gracefully. Verse 11 and 12, and you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you in your household. When you have finished setting aside of the tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so they, they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Those are powerful verses. They mention a number of, of people who in that culture were particularly vulnerable. Levites and aliens and foreigners. Fatherless, the orphans, the widows. 
And here's the picture. As the people gave sacrificially and joyfully, God used their offering to bless others. As we give, God transforms our giving into a tool of grace in the lives of others. That's a powerful, powerful thing. We give, and it becomes graceful giving into the lives of others. When you give to God, your giving becomes a vehicle through which God moves in the lives of other people, particularly those who are vulnerable. Think about it even practically here. When we give to the ministry here, um, that, that giving gets in, in, inserted into ministries that are happening here and beyond here, and those ministries have direct impact on people, whether it's their impact on their physical life, their economic life, their spiritual life, their emotional life. It has powerful, grace-filled impact in the lives of others when we give. Our sacrificial and our joyful giving is used gracefully by God to make His grace visible in the lives of others. It's a powerful, powerful thing. All of what I've said this morning, I think, is even more powerful in the context, in, in you, remembering the picture from Habakkuk. When we remember what Habakkuk is saying, what, what he's describing, his normal, the fig tree isn't budding, there's no grapes in the vine, the olive crop fails, the fields produce no food, there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in stalls. When the portfolio is slim. And even there, he says, even then, God, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to trust you. That's one of the themes of Habakkuk. I'm going to trust you completely. I'm going to rejoice. That's the backdrop of all of this. Because all the principles of the first fruit that we're talking about, they aren't to be applied once, okay, I'm comfy-wumfy now. Things are established. Now I can start. No, no. God's saying, it's the first fruits. I want you to learn to give sacrificially and joyfully and gracefully now. Even when your song is the song of Habakkuk's. Especially then. These are hard times, Lord, yet I'm going to rejoice in you and I'm going to trust in you because you are my strength. You will make my feet sure like the feet of a deer. I feel sometimes in my life like it's, we're slipping because things are really tight, but I'm going to trust you even when times are difficult. We're going to be closing our service. A team can feel free to come forward. We're going to close our service with a great hymn. I asked them if we could close the service with this. Um, it's like a great hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. It even talks in there about my silver and my gold, but it talks about basically all of my life. God, take me. This is a prayer. It's, it is a brutally difficult prayer to pray. I'm not going to lie to you. And it is a prayer that I believe we need to be learning continually because I haven't learned the full weight of this prayer, but I'm continuing to learn it. Take all of me, God. I want to be one who recognizes it is all because of you. And I want to be one who trusts you completely and that includes you taking my silver and my gold.
I don't want to withhold any of it. I want to learn this principle of giving to you. When it, even when it hurts, when it's sacrificial, I want to do it joyfully because of all you've done for me. And I want to do it so that I can see you inserting your grace into the lives of others. Let's pray together. God, difficult lessons for us and ones we need to be reminded of. And so I pray that you would continue to teach me and my family and all of us here what it means um, to be uh, givers to you because it is all from you. Would you speak into our lives what we need to hear this morning as we pray this, uh, sing this prayer to close our service. God, this might be very, very easy for us to sing right now. It might be very, very difficult. Thank you that you meet us in the ease or in the difficulty. In Jesus' name we pray.